You know, as they're making their way to their, to their classes, you know, I, I just want to put a, a quick plug in for the, the, the Get Out Alive uh, overnight we're going to do as men. You, if, if you call this your home church, you, you can't miss that weekend. Maybe you've tried men's events before and you didn't like it, and I'm, give it a chance. I'm, we're going to have an amazing time together. Uh, all the speaking is going to be done by uh, men here, right here from our church. You're going to be able to hear from your own, and uh, we're going to be tenting the first night for the first time. We've been doing this for a few years now, and so uh, I'm not a big camper, as you know, and, uh, and I'm not going to go stay at an area hotel. I'm actually going to stay in a tent there on the grounds. I'm a little bit nervous about that because the last time we went camping, uh, you've heard the story before, we went, decided to go as a family a few years ago. It was in the middle of the summer for Derek's birthday, and we were up at Lake Anna State Park, and, and we were setting everything up, right? And there's the tent that that, uh, that they were going to sleep in, and then we, we couldn't all fit into that tent, so we had a tent for me that I was going to sleep in, and so we've got everything set up, and, and, and uh, I'm looking around for the tent that I'm supposed to sleep in, and uh, it's not there, and I turned to Vanessa, where's my tent? She's like, oh, I think it's in the garage. Yeah, so I slept out on the ground, right, and I woke up, I kid you not, in the middle of the night, there was a raccoon the size of a human being at my feet staring at me. And, and, and uh, yeah, I was, I, and then I screamed, the raccoon didn't move, I threw rocks at it, the raccoon did not move, and uh, I think the raccoon was trying to decide, I think I can take this guy, you know, and so that's the last time that I've ever experienced camping, and so I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, I need some deliverance ministry, I've got some fears that I'm working off of, so we're going to have a good time together, so that's you, it's, it's going to be, I'm telling you, it's going to be a must thing for you and a must weekend for you to join us. We'll be back for the Saturday service, so it's just a 24-hour quick turnaround. It's up at Westmoreland State Park in Montrose, Virginia. It's overlooking uh, the Potomac River and the place where we're going to be having our meetings are up on a cliff that's like 40 feet up. It overlooks the water. It's, it's going to be an amazing, amazing time together. So, hey, before we uh, get into the, the, the message uh, tonight, uh, we just wanted to take a minute and honor someone. And, uh, and so Vanessa's going to come and, and help me with this moment, but um, I'm going to be talking more about Chandler and Celeste as part of the message. We're doing vision casting over these next two weekends, uh, but they're going to be making a shift to the Williamsburg campus. I'm going to be talking some more about that, but if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you know that they have been pioneers here at this campus. They were part of the plant team that came from Christian Life Center in 2006, and then what, they, what he has done behind the scenes uh, technologically, also as a musician, but what she has done to awaken us to the presence of God in the room through the gift that she has to lead us in worship. It's just phenomenal and amazing. And so we've got some flowers that we want to give to her. We also have a, a gift certificate to them. It's a night out on, uh, on, on us for them uh, at the Smithfield Station. It's a, a local bed and breakfast. And so we're going to give them that gift. Their meal is included and it's just a, a way to say thank you. And then I've got also too a couple of other giveaways too. I'm just going to throw in a, a box of Krispy Kreme donuts to them. <laughs> Just, just, just because. Where, where is she? There she is. Yeah. So good. These, these donuts look especially good to me because I'm on day five of a fast. So I'm, dare I just open them and look at them? I dare not. But I do like it when communion, you've heard me joke about this before, when I'm fasting because communion is fast-approved food. You can eat communion, see, while you're, oh, this is, oh, yeah, that's good. Do you remember when I, I did a 40-day fast in January? Do you remember that? I couldn't wait for communion to get here. It was so good, Yeah. And then I just turned it over just like this from my days of old. If you know what that means, then the people that are laughing, we know that you have a, 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 a storied past like myself. So, all right, so I got one more thing. Got one more thing. So how about the uprising last night? Come on. So, so they were saying that, that I, I might need to update my look a little bit. So they had these medallions. We, we live as kings, what do you think? So, and then I got my, um, my hat to go with it. Should I preach like this tonight? Yeah. 
You wouldn't take anything I said seriously. Are you getting a picture of me right now? Good. Yeah. Good. This is about as updated as I'm going to get, and this is about as long as it lasts right there. So I am what I am. I am what I am. But I am going to give the medallion, if I can get that, to uh, Pastor Justin for doing a great job. So he's going to make that look a lot better than I ever could. Trust me. He's gonna make, so we're, we're going to give this away as part of the service in a little while. So you're going to have to work for it, though. So we're, we're going to do some vision casting over the next two weekends. And, and when I'm fasting and preaching on Saturday night, that's not good news for you because you want to leave here and go to dinner, and I don't care. Because I'm not eating until tomorrow night. So you're, you're, you're on your own. You're on your own. If you, get, if you get hungry, you feel free to come on out. You can get a snack right here. There's lots of bread and juice that's... that's so I want to open by just telling a little bit of a story. I've, I've told some of this story before, but the first home that I ever bought was in the inner city of Richmond. It was soon after that I had made a vow of devotion to Christ, and I knew call, God was calling me to be a part of urban and inner city ministry for that season of my life. And so I found a HUD home in downtown Richmond. It was in such a state of disrepair that it didn't even qualify for a mortgage. So I, had to get, I just got a personal loan. It was so cheap to buy this house. And and, uh, and I knew that I was supposed to be part of helping to revitalize a community. And then Vanessa ended up living there together. It was before we were married, so she knew it was a package deal when we started dating. And uh, so we ended up being there for 10 years and just had amazing experiences there. And, uh, but but to, to, to be able to live there, the house needed some immediate work. And so I had some friends that said, hey, we'll help because I didn't have the money to do it. And so we did a lot of the, the, uh, the work ourselves and people volunteered their time because they knew why I was moving there. And one of the first things we had to do was put a new roof on the house. And it was built in 1918, was, was this house. And it had an old tin roof, the original roof that had been put on it. And the pitch on the roof, those roofs are super, super steep. And so I had a, a college buddy of mine came over. And, uh, and we said, you know, how hard could it be, right? And so we're up on the roof. And you realize when you're, you know, about 30 feet up in the air and it looks like a ski slope, you're, you're, you're realizing, I'm glad God didn't call me to roofing. But, but we had a job that needed to be done. And so... That we someone had told us what needed to be you, you start at the top and you start peeling it back like a sardine can and you've got a crowbar and you're popping it loose and then you push it with your feet and you're sitting on your on your rear end and then you get to the bottom and and then there's a little lip on the roof that's probably about 10 inches wide and 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 the idea is that you get as close as you can to push that over without you going over with it and so uh, it was in the middle of the summer. It's, that's, it's like razor blades. So we're cut up. We're bloody. It was just a nasty, nasty, but we got it done. Everybody survived, but then it came time to put the shingles on. I don't have any experience with that. So I had a friend who was a roofer said, I'll volunteer my time if you can uh, bring the supplies. And so I recruited a teenager to help. And so we looked for a forecast that was going to be a good day. And so we got all the tar paper uh, and the shingles down on one side. And then we were going to tar paper and shingle the other side. And and, and about halfway through, about the middle of the day, we heard some thunder off in the distance, you know. And we're thinking to ourselves, come on, God, you, you got to help us out here a little bit, right? It's just bare wood. That wood had been on there, right, since 1918. It's, the water's going to come through that. We had to replace some of the sheathing there. So we had a lot to, to do. And so I feel like God speaks to me and says, Fred, I want you to stand up on this roof, and I want you to pray that it's not going to rain. He's like, God, they already think that I'm a lunatic for moving into this neighborhood, Right. And, and if I stand up and do that, then it's just going to seal the deal for them. That I'm just absolutely crazy. And so I'm having this conversation with God on this roof, right? And, and then one of the guys with me who's the roofer, he, you know, he, he does this all the time. So when, when he's on the roof, he stands right on the lip like this. You with me? With his heels hanging over. Just leaning over, working on the roof, right? And so I'm already near. I'm hugging the roof, like, as we're moving around. So even the idea of, I think I was more afraid of standing up to pray as I was actually praying there in public. And so, but, but God keeps speaking to me, and the storm gets closer. It gets dark. The wind starts blowing. Like Twister, a cow goes by. No, it wasn't quite that bad. Anybody watch that on Labor Day? I was, yeah, I was, I know, such a classic. So the wind's whipping around and it's, and it's starting to rain a little bit and God keeps asking, are you going to pray? And, and finally I said, I'm not going to do it, God. I can't. I don't have the faith to do what you're asking me to do because there's no way it's not going to rain. There's no way it's not going to rain. Well, then the rain stopped. We're working as fast as we can at least to try to get the, the felt paper down and God comes to me one more time. And I've never heard his voice, but I felt his voice. And he said to me, are you going to pray or not? So I turned to my, my two friends, Charlie and Scotty, and, and I said, 
I said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to pray as loud as I can for this rain to stop. And they looked at me and they said, all right, let's do it. So we stood up and I began to pray. And I've got a big mouth, right? And so as loud as I can, as much as my voice will enable me to pray, I'm just praying that God's going to stop the rain, that he's going to hold back the clouds, that the sun's going to come out, he's going to let us finish this work. And, you know, he, he knows why we're there to serve people. And he didn't call, right? And so I'm just praying into this thing, praying into this thing, praying into this thing. And, by, and I knew when I was done, it was still raining, right? It was still thundering. The wind was still ripping, whipping around. And so, but I know I've done my part. And so when I said, in Jesus' name, amen. I kid you not, I am not exaggerating in any bit. When I said, in Jesus' name, amen, the rain immediately stopped. The wind stopped. The clouds pulled back. The sun came out. We almost, all three of us, almost fell to our death because we were jumping around on that roof. We were so excited. You with me? We were screaming and hollering. And we were, I mean, we were all looking at each other like, I can't believe that just happened, right? You wanted to be able to rewind it and relive it again. That, that was for me what I'm going to call, which is going to be a new phrase that we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weekends, a come up moment for me in my journey as a devoted follower of Christ. That when God speaks, that if we would, if we would just trust him, come on, Pastor Jamie, what he was talking about, right? That we can trust him. And that when he calls us to do things that seem bigger than ourselves, we, as, a, as our theme for, for two years ago, right, we talked about this idea of living in the gap and that, that, the, that a human effort in response to a sovereign command always brings about a divine result. Human effort in response to a sovereign command always brings about a divine result. And that day for me, it changed me. It was a come up moment for me. My faith got deeper. My willingness to take chances with my faith got bigger. You with me? And even the people that were with me, even one of the, the, the teenager that was with us ended up going on a pretty terrible journey throughout his life, almost even forsaking his faith. And then when I would meet with his parents, his parents would say that, that sometimes he would say, I don't even know if I believe God anymore. And every single time he would go back to that day. But he would say, I know that God is real because of what I experienced on that roof on Home Street in the inner city. Sometimes your come up moment is, is somebody else's come up moment. You with me? Sometimes God's calling you to take a step because it's going to be a part of their journey and part of their story. It enables them to have something to come back to. And so if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to be working out of verse 1 here. It says, Revelation 4.1. It says, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I had heard before. That's important, isn't it? Because God wants his voice to be recognizable. We talked about that in the last series. The voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast and the voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. We were at the WAVE conference this summer and Darlene Check was doing an amazing message on worship and she was working out of this text a little bit and she got to this phrase come up and as soon as she read it I knew God was speaking to me about this phrase and I didn't know if it was something for me I didn't know if it was supposed to be a series for the church and and just over the last several weeks the last couple of months and sharing with the governance team and the leadership we knew that it's not just a sermon series it's not just something for a moment that it's supposed to be a word for our church that's supposed to be for a season it could be an elongated season we typically don't launch our theme for a year until the end of January. So there was a part of me that said, well, I'll just, this is, God's given us our 2014 theme early, but I, I really felt like God saying, no, it's for now. It's, it's for now, to launch it now, cast vision now, as if it's the end of January, so it's going to be for the rest of this year, 2014, and possibly beyond. This phrase come up. And one of the things that Darlene Check was talking about, which was so fascinating, is that when you read the book of Revelation, you realize he's already experienced some pretty remarkable things, Right? So, so you would think that this would be how it would start. He's into chapter 4. He's already had a vision of Christ in the heavens. He's begun to see some of the heavenlies. He's been given prophetic insight for the seven churches that he was probably the bishop over. I would say his day's already been pretty good so far, right? And so she's joking about that a little bit. That, but there, here, even he's experienced things that we would say, if I could just get a piece of that in a lifetime, I would be excited. And yet here in the midst of all of that, God still says to him, come up. Because with God, there's always more, and his more is always better. Let me say it. With, with God, there is always more, and his more is always better. So I believe that God's saying to us, hey, you're in a come up season as a church. That he has some things that he's saying to us. 
Some of the things that we're going to work through over these next couple of weeks are going to be uh, talking about some changes. Some of the things are going to be celebrating aspects of our church that we cherish that I think God wants us to reaffirm. So I've got 14 different pieces that we're going to work through. We're going to do some uh, tonight. We're going to do some next week and time permitting. We'll get through all of those and the ones we don't. We'll blog about it a little bit, but I, this is, this is going to be a come up year for us. It's going to be a come up season for us. You, you might be here tonight and you're saying, well, Fred, I was here in January and you, you, you launched a, a vision. It was going to be our hallelujah year. I think it's still going to be our hallelujah year. I think we're going to get to January. You know, we do a, a sharing service in January, the first uh, full weekend in January. We do an open mic. We don't have a message and you do the sermon by sharing what God's been doing in your life, I think we're still going to get to that moment. It's going to be a hallelujah year for us. I think you better bring your tissue boxes because I know some of the stories that you're going to be sharing and they're going to be amazing. God has done amazing things in people's lives already and it's just the beginning of September. We, we talked about three things specifically too that I felt like God had spoken to me that was going to make it a hallelujah year. One was that it was going to be a year of our faith. It was going to be a year of our fruit and uh, we're going to be talking more about that in the months to come. But the third one was I shared that I thought it was going to be the year of our field because it was our seventh anniversary. And so we were building off of this idea of a, of the, of a seventh year in Jewish tradition and the sabbatical year. And oftentimes land was given back to people. And so we really began to cast vision in January. This is going to be the year that we found property. Remember talking about that, that I was joking around that somebody has property that belongs to us, that God's, they've just been holding it and God's going to release it back to us. And so so as I really began to feel like God was speaking to us about this theme come up, I began to have this conversation with God. God, I, I don't have a field yet, you know. I'm good with you changing the theme, but how about you keep your part of the bargain, right, before, before you have any conversations like that with God? And, uh, and, so, and so this is, and God really began to talk to me, and, and, and I felt like what he said, I told you it was going to be the year of your field. I never said it was going to be a place. You assigned intent to that word that I spoke to you, right? You ever do that? God speaks to you, and then you might as- assign intent to what he said, and then you run with that. And so I began to share that with the, with the governance team, and I really felt like God brought some correction to me and the insight that I thought that I had. And the verse that he gave me, it's in, if you're a note taker, these notes are going to be online next week, Matthew 9, 37 to 38. This is where Jesus said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We were in a governance team meeting last month, and God put that verse in my heart when I was praying about these things. And that's when he said to me, Fred, well, I, I said this was going to be the year of your field. You thought it was going to be a place, but I always intended that word to be about people. It was never supposed to be about a place. It was always supposed to be about people. This is the year of your field, but it's a field of people, not a field of earth. It's a field of families, not a field of soil. It, it's, a, it's not supposed to be a place, it's supposed to be people. And then it's, it was soon after that that we started our conversation with Pastor Jamie and Michelle. Come on, that's one of the most beautiful fields that God has added to this church over this past year. And so I think there's going to be more of that. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come. But as a governance team, we've really been meeting and we really felt like God's saying to us to suspend our search for a building. We don't know how long that's supposed to be. It could be for a few months. It could be for longer than that. But in the, uh, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, as they were traveling through the desert, right, there was a pillar of cloud by uh, day and a pillar of fire by night. And when it stopped, they stopped. And they didn't move until it moved. And so, uh, you know, we feel like God's saying, this is where I am. This is where I am. And so we're just saying, all right, we're going to stay where you are, God, until you lead us forward. And, and we're going to rediscover an emphasis on people until you give us permission and freedom to resume our search for a place. So, so anyways, so I wanted to, I wanted to talk about these these, uh, these ideas and these, these things that God's been speaking in my heart, but I, I'm always looking for context, right? And context is important to me. Context import, is important to you, whether you realize it or not. Like when, with, with Saving Private Ryan, anybody a big fan of Saving Private Ryan? Love that film, right? Now, when you went into that movie, you didn't pay for that ticket and get all excited to sit down in the theater for a, a, a frame to pop up that just said, hey, live a life worthy of the sacrifices that other people have made on your behalf. The end. And then you got up and left, right? I mean, that's really the dominant theme of that movie, but you want that message given to you with some context, right? You, you want the storyline and the characters, and some of you, I'm going to be doing your wedding over this fall, right? You don't want me to just get up and say, okay, by the authority vested in me, you're married. Let's, let's go to the reception, right? You're like, no, 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 no. How about some context? How about some verses and some, some a sermon? How about, how about creating some context, right? Valentine's Day. Any ladies, you like context on Valentine's Day? You say, as men, well, I tell her that I love her, that's enough. It's not enough. She needs some context, like some flowers and some, right? Literature and art and poetry and, and where Sabre's in here. She's an English teacher, right? She loves, right? 
You could take and boil down every poem and every book to a theme, but we want more than that because context makes it memorable. Context makes it impressionable. Context, it causes it to sink deep into our life. The greatest moment in context in history is Jesus himself. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Context, and it impacts our lives. So last month I was, I was praying at NRBC and, and uh, one afternoon, and I, I knew the things that I wanted to, uh, to communicate over these next couple of weeks, but I'm saying, God, what's the context that we're supposed to use? What's the context that all of this stuff is supposed to come through to really impact us in a deep and a profound way? And, and just in a moment, I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to use the stations of the cross. I thought to myself, God, I'm a Protestant. I don't know anything about the stations of the cross, right? That's how you kind of know it's God sometimes when you have no idea what he, he's talking about. So I thought what I would do is maybe any, 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 any Catholics in here? Any Catholics? Who's, who's all right, any, how about some, I see there, uh, this is somebody newer to the church. What's, give me the number, the traditional number for the stations of the cross. Do you know it? No, just how many there are. Any guesses? 12? There's, there's one that's 12, Mary. There's 14, but I'm going to give them to her for participating since she's newer. But there you go. There you go. Come on, you can clap. Mary's good with that. Mary's good. Mary's good. There are, there's, there's, there's lots of, there's some that are 12, some versions are 10, some versions are 8, some versions are, are 14. But 14 is the most commonly accepted. There's some history I'm going to put Onto the, uh, onto the notes that you can read through that if you're a history buff like me. But the 14 has been the one that Catholics have been using really since around the time of the writing of the Constitution in the 1700s. And so, so, so I really, as I began to look at it, God began to really speak to me about each one of these stations speaks something meaningful to us that's going to create a context for us to communicate vision. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And, and, and how we talk about these stations are a little bit different from the Catholic traditions because I, I was praying about, God, how do you want to use each station to speak to us? And so the, how, how we communicate them might be a little bit different than what you're used to uh, if you're from the Catholic tradition. So, all right. All right, so we're gonna, you ready to cover some ground with me? We're going to be off the clock a little bit, but no, nothing too crazy. Nothing too crazy. Snacks at the front. All right, so the first one is this. Station one is, 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 station one is, is, is Jesus being condemned to death. That's where the, the, the stations of the cross begin. And, and this is an important one for us because when you look at this part of Scripture, and, and some of the stations that are in these 14 don't appear in the Gospels, and I'm going to explain why we're using them anyways because I think that's instructive for us. But this one is, when Jesus is condemned to, to death, that it's a great moment of injustice in history. It's a great moment where somebody is, is mistreating him, but yet he still submits and still yields. And, and Isaiah prophesied like that he's a lamb that is being led to slaughter and, 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 he, and he doesn't resist. And we look at that and go, you know, when, when other people are mistreating us, one of our first reactions is, is to cry foul. But sometimes the thing that we're walking through that we're so upset about, about being mistreated was part of God's plan for our life all along because it's a Romans 8.28 moment that all things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to this purpose. That anything that happens to us that there's God has the ability to use it for our good and for his glory and so sometimes we get stuck in this place of just a rut of complaining when God is saying hey you could take a lot of that energy that you're using complaining begin to pray how I'm going to use this because I have a plan I have a plan for my glory Jesus dying on the cross come on that's another sermon for another time but that was the greatest moment of God's glory and our good in all of history but it wasn't the pathway that maybe he had expected. Sometimes come up moments in our lives look like we're moving backwards when God is really moving us forward. If you had surveyed the disciples after Jesus was arrested, I'm not sure they would say this is one of the greatest moments of our lives. They thought everything was unraveling, but it was one of the greatest come up moments in history. And so at last fall, we had an opportunity to make a proposal for the purchase of this, of this property. And I was convinced that that's why God had been keeping us here and if we had been in, in charge of the process, we probably would have done some things differently. And, and as you know, we ended up not getting that proposal. And that stung a little bit for me. And I kind of got stuck in a place of just being a little bit embittered. And I got stuck in a place of just complaining a little bit. And some, some, some people in the governance team are going to challenge me a little bit. Hey, you, you, this, you can't make this personal. God is still at work. And then the word that God spoke to me in the midst of that was, Fred, no one can take from you what I intend to give you. 
No one can take from you what I intend to give you. And that became a word that I really held on to. And that might be something for you. Maybe a relationship that you've lost or a job that you've lost or something that you felt like belonged to you. Maybe it was through maybe some unfair circumstances that you feel like you don't have any. Hey, no one can take from you what God intends to give you. And that began my journey of healing and getting through that disappointment. And so, 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 so we just signed recently uh, a lease here to stay for at least the next 12 months. That we're going to be here for the, at least the next year and just reaffirm our partnership with the other churches that are here. With Matt Rogers and All Generations Church that's taking over the ownership of this property. And we, we really feel like that God's saying to us, hey, it might feel like you're moving backwards. It's felt personally from, for me that's a move backwards. But God's saying, hey, don't forget, come up moments always, not always, but oftentimes feel like it's a backwards move when I'm, you're really using that to create momentum in your life to catapult you forward. Now we got some big things that we're going to be sharing about the Williamsburg campus that it's a come up moment as well and about our dealings there with, with the landlord and the challenges of the building. But if you want to hear those updates, then you've got to come tomorrow. We'll see you there at 10 o'clock. Okay, come on. It's a little manipulation there, but I'm not above that. All right. Especially when I'm hungry. Grumpy. All right, station two. Station two, you ready? Station two. We're going to get through seven of these. Station two is Jesus carries his cross. This is all about priorities. What I am carrying that what am I carrying that causes me to neglect burdens of responsibility that God expects me to carry, right? So we can get caught up in carrying a lot of things in life that God's saying, if you would put those down, I would give you some things to carry instead. And Matthew 6, is a great verse for us here. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you, right? There's this idea that if we're carrying the right things, if we're, if we're giving ourselves to the right burdens, that there is a favor and a blessing that comes to us. And so Part of this journey for us, and this, I think it's going to be a come up moment for some of you, is that there's some burdens that you need to start carrying if you call this your church home, right? So some of the come up moment journey that we're going to be talking about over the next two weeks is some of the things that God's speaking to the church, but there's some of the things that I think that God's saying as a church that we need to speak to you. And so if you've been coming for any amount of time and you've yet to find a place of getting involved in serving, this is a come up moment for you. That it's, it's time to get involved. It's time for you to, to begin to carry the weight of the burden and the responsibilities of the ministries of this church, not because there's work to be done, but because there's work to be done in you, and that work's not going to get done until you break a sweat for the kingdom of heaven. One of the reasons why we're so excited about inviting people to participate in the ministries of the church, it's not just because that work needs to be done, because we know that it's a pathway, and God does a work in you when you begin to carry the burdens of the other works that needs to be done in the church family that you call home. For some of you, it might be getting financially involved here. You know, we don't talk a lot about money here at the City Life Church. And I know that I've got to change that. I think that's one of the things that God's saying to me. There's a book that I've been reading recently on, on giving. And one of the things that this pastor who writes this book, he gives a caution to pastors. He said, hey, there's a lot of poor teaching out there in the world about giving. And the only way that's going to be corrected is people give good teaching. Remaining silent is not going to change a thing. And so I know that we've got it. We, I feel like we've got a great message, a biblical message about what giving is all about. And we want to put that message in play. This, the other interesting thing about this book is he says, hey, there are probably people in your congregation that have never heard good biblical sound teaching on giving and blessing and reciprocity. And he says, you're, he's talking to the, the, the people that are reading the book. He said, you might be walking in the favor of God because of what you're doing. And other people are missing out because of what they're not doing. And you're too afraid to tell your story for fear that it's going to cause push them away, and they're missing out on the blessing of God. And we have a responsibility to bring all the teaching of all of Scripture. And so we're going to start, we haven't figured all of that out yet, but we want to work more into our conversations about this idea of sowing and reaping. I'm walking in that as a person. We walk in that as a family. Our leaders walk in that. And we experience the goodness of God because we're seeing the principles at work. And so we're going to put that and build that into our conversation. For some of you, it might be a come up moment because your attendance is sporadic and God is saying to you, it's got to get better. You with me? As you read through scripture, you find that some of Jesus's greatest miracles happened in big crowds. And it's not just because he was looking for exposure for his message, that's part of it, but because in those big crowds, there was anticipation. And that anticipation gave birth to hope. And then hope gives birth to faith, as we know in Hebrews chapter 11. And so even Jesus said, right, when he would go to his hometown, that, that people would come together. But yet he said, I can't even do miracles here because there's so little faith. There is a deposit of God in each one of you that you carry. And when you bring that together in a room like this, it creates excitement and anticipation. It, it awakens faith in people's hearts, and God begins to move in profound 
ways. There, there's a responsibility that we have to share that in community moments just like this. Do not underestimate the deposit of God that you withhold when you don't come. Now, we know that means you can't be here every week, and we understand that. But for you, you might be in a come-up place where you're supposed to be here more than you are, and it's all about a changing of priorities that might be in your life. Another one is, is going to be, are you fully engaged relationally here? If you may, it might be that you've always ha- found an excuse to not participate in life groups. Don't find that excuse anymore. Their relationships are going to enrich your life here at the City Life Church. And then one more, I want to talk about this one before we move on to the next station, is that the, the idea of, 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 of membership. And so we have traditionally done something that we call Friday Night Life. And so I'm going to be talking about a culture of experimentation as one of our stations tonight. And so we're going to experiment with some things here. We're going to cancel Friday Night Life. And we're going to start experimenting with the idea of, of setting aside three or four weekend services a year and make the entire service about welcoming people into the church. And one of the reasons I'm excited about this is because the journey of people making a commitment to be a, a part of the church family here on Friday Night Life, it falls to the responsibility of a few leaders. And what we're saying is that should be the responsibility collectively of the whole congregation. That, and, 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 and those can't be the weekends that you say, well, I'm not coming because there's nothing in it for me. That would be the worst reason to never come because part of the reason why you come has nothing to do for you. It has to do with the deposit of God that's in you that you're supposed to share with other people. So the message is going to be about telling the story of the church. Everything about that night and that morning in Williamsburg on Sundays is all going to be about helping people learn what it means to be a part of the City Life Church. I'm excited about this change. And then we're going to reserve a back room at a restaurant somewhere in town. Uh, we're going to do it on Saturday night here and then Sunday morning in Williamsburg because people like to, we know that people like to get into a, a setting where they can ask questions and so we're still going to retain that. And so we're, so, so we're, we're asking you when you see that weekend come up that you're going to make it a priority for you to be here and that you're going to bring people with you. Does that make sense? And that those are going to be great celebrations for us as a church family. That this is a cherished group of people and so many people are disconnected from the body of Christ. And those that are supposed to be a part of this church, we want to help them find their way into our community. All right, number three. Number three. Station three is Jesus falls the first time. You've got to give yourself grace when you fail. You've got to give yourself permission to not give up. Matthew 8, 22. Eight, wow. Matthew 18, 22 is when Peter comes and says, if someone sins against me, how many times do I forgive them? And he came up with the biggest number he could think of, seven. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And that's just not for you to forgive others, it's for you to forgive yourself. That a lot of times, the hardest forgiveness that we give is the forgiveness that we're supposed to share over our own lives. You know, as, as a pastor, you, you know that people have a pastoral calling because they're always running to the people that everybody else is running away from, right? You want a true test of a true pastor's heart. It's like firemen, right? They're always running into the burning building when everybody else is, 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 is running out. And, and that's part of my calling as a pastor is to, is, is, to, is to be a person that's always running towards people. Even, even when other people are saying the situation's hopeless, there's a part of me that says, no, I'm going to try one more time. And that's part of the governance team responsibility to make sure they're keeping that in balance for me. And, and, but, but as a church, we're just saying this is part of the culture of our church. We believe that participation brings transformation. We're going to let people participate in ministry a lot sooner and in different ways that other churches might not. Our only exception to that is involved in children's ministry. We're going to take chances with you. We're not going to take chances with the kids. Does that make sense? But people that might be greeting, people that play in the band, people that might be ushering, you might know them outside the church, and you might ask the question, I can't believe they must not know about that person. No, because we know about that person, we're saying, hey, come be a part of what we're doing. Participation brings transformation in people's lives. And we're going to be a church that runs towards people. We, we believe that God can do anything in some of the hardest cases. And for some of you here tonight, you're here because we didn't give up on you. You're here, and the journey of your walk with Christ is because other people might have been willing to walk away, and we were willing to run into that burning building. This is the other one here, and then I'm going to move on, is that you might be here, and you say, well, I can't participate, uh, and you've got a list of reasons why. And, and I call that, those are self-disqualifying moments. Self-disqualification always leads to self-destruction. Self-disqualification always leads to self-destruction we want you to know that there's a place for you here and there's something for you to do. No matter what your story is, no matter what your story is, not yesterday, but what your story is right now, right? 
that there is a way for you to be a part of a community of people and being a part of that community and being actively a part of that community, building relationship and serving is going to be part of your journey of transformation forward. All right, station four. Station four. Jesus meets his mother. All of us must discern seasons of change in our lives, especially when it comes to our individual roles in the church and leaders in the church. This is a powerful moment when Jesus meets his mother. Now, we don't know if they met on the road, but we know that she was there that day. So this is another one of those inferences that that this tradition of the Stations of the Cross picks up on. But we know when we turn to John 14, I mean John 19, that there is a specific conversation that he has with his mother and John. And this is when he says to Mary, uh, uh, Mother, behold thy son, and son, behold thy mother. And, and this whole idea of Jesus, of Jesus being there with his mother on that day, the conversation that he has with John and his mother, it's all about changing of roles. It's all about changes of seasons and roles. You know that Mary on that day, watching her son, suffer that everything in her being the mother wanted to still serve him and rescue him and protect him and save him right because she has a mother's heart but that's not her role anymore it was now her turn to be led by him even though the way he was leading seemed as though he was failing we all know now that he wasn't just dying for the sins of the world he was dying for the sins of his mother you with me that there was a moment where mary had to relinquish who she had been even as his mother and there had to be a change in roles. Even with John, there was a change that now John was going to step into being a bona fide family member. There was something very specific in Jewish culture that that meant that he was going to now have responsibility for her financially. There was just lots of changes. Relationships and roles were changing, and, and that's the way it is oftentimes in church. There are come-up moments for us in churches where roles change. The ministries that you're involved in change. Your place as a leader might shift and change. You, your, your leadership responsibility might grow. Your leadership responsibility might wane. And it's as, as part of us as a church leadership to make sure we're discerning those moments. And so one of those is Chandler and Celeste making this shift to Williamsburg. That's a shift for this church. It's going to be a shift for that church. But it's a come up moment because when God calls us to seasons of change, he's always calling us forward in our lives. And part of them going there, we're not going to share the rest of the names because we're going to do it tomorrow, but part of them going there and part of Pastor Jamie coming is we're launching for the very first time. We're announcing who they are this weekend in Williamsburg. We're announcing the first MLTC, which is one of our core leadership teams. That campus, now that it's two years old, it's going to have its first ministry life team council that meets on a monthly basis with Pastor Jamie and Michelle. Chandler and Celeste are going to be a part of that core team, and that first Nucleus leadership team has been born. It is a huge moment for that campus. Huge. It's a come-up moment. Sometimes come-up moments are hard because the people that we used to lead are now leading us, and that can be hard for people. It's all a part of the journey as being a devoted follower of Christ. The disciples were called into a much larger group of people before they became apostles and became the twelve. There was a part where they were just a part of the bigger crowd. Even in Jesus' ministry, you see different people's roles being defined. And, and then the 12, right, broke down into three groups of four. And then John was there that was the closest of him. Even in there, there, there was some sense of responsibility that broke down. And for us as a church, we're always going to celebrate the way that God speaks and moves in our church for the changes. And so here's a couple more. We've invited Steve and Laurie Ruggiero to be a part of the governance team. And uh, if you know Steve and Laura, you know that they're just going to be an amazing addition to that table and to that team. Uh, we invited them uh, temporarily to come be a part of our governance team when uh, we were making the decision about Pastor Jamie because we knew they were just going to have some great insight to share with us, to help us because it was such a significant decision. And just having them in the room, we all knew that, hey, they're supposed to be a part of this room. So we're creating a brand new role, Steve stepping into what we're calling an intern to the lead pastor. So he's going to be there a little bit, some for staff meetings during the days. We don't know what their future is going to be. I don't know the answer to that question, but I know it's to be a part of this team, to be a part of this church, to be a part of the City Life Church. And if you've been around them for any amount of time, you know that they're just going to bring so much to that table. And so we're excited about them stepping into that role as deeper leadership here at the City Life Church. Uh, Lisa Stevens is going to take on the bookkeeping for our church. There's Lisa right there. Raise your hand, Lisa. Good. See, see, if you're a chocolate lover, when I say chocolate, you smile and you can't help it, right? How many people smile when I said chocolate, right? Yeah? You just, you, a warm, fuzzy feeling came over you at the thought of more chocolate. Right? When you go to Lisa and you say math, she smiles uncontrollably. See, she's smiling right now. I remember when we first started to get to know Dale and, and Lisa, Lisa said, people, I like people, 
but I love math. Numbers, <laughs> numbers, numbers is something I'm really excited about. And so you want the person doing the bookkeeping, right, to, to, to really love what they do. And so we're excited that she's going to be stepping into that role. And uh, it's a stipend role for us, but it's definitely going to be being a part of the staff team. Uh, Jenna has been doing that. And uh, Jenna, what she's going to be taking on is uh, that all the administration of the worship and tech arts world, that's going to shift uh, to her from Celeste. She's been doing that. And then Stephanie White for this next season, we don't know how long it's going to be, is going to be our main worship leader here uh, on the campus on Saturday nights. And so, come on, it's good. It's good. So these are come up moments, you with me? It's, 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 there's, we're in a season of change as a church. There's always more with God, and his more is always better. All right, we're good. We're going we're gonna to make it. All right, station five. Jesus accepts help from Simon. He says, are you embracing the principle of mutual dependency? You're embracing the principle of mutual dependency. This is huge for us as a church family. We believe that how, however good your gift is, it's incomplete unless that gift is connected to other people. And so every one of our ministries is led by a team of people. Sometimes that's hard for people. Sometimes they've not been involved. Sometimes they've been at a very uh, command, control, uh, 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 authoritative type leadership structure before. That's not who we are. That's not how we flow as a church. We operate as a team, as a governance team. We don't vote on things. We, 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 we move, we work it out until we can stand in a place of, of unanimity. And, and if we can't stand in a place of unanimity, then, then, then we, we step in a place of deferring to each other. It's a beautiful way to work, but it takes a lot more work. Are you with me? It's a beautiful way to, to work together as a team, but it takes a lot of effort. I was in a conversation with someone too not long ago, and I was talking about this very thing. And, and they said, I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure that I'm going to make it here at the City Life Church, they said, because this is, this is very hard for me. I'm just used to being in an ministry environment where I just pray, God speaks to me, and I just I, I do what he says. And I said it a very nice way. That just sounds like a very accountability-free life to me. Are you with me? And so, so, so we had a great conversations about just a different way that things can happen as a church. We believe as a governance team in every ministry, it's hard to work things out because you have different preferences and different ideas. And sometimes you do feel like God speaks to you. And what do you do in a moment where you feel like God speaks to you and somebody else feels like God spoke to them and God said two different things, right? And so you're having to work that out. But I'm telling you, Every time that we've ever gotten to a place where we just seem at odds with each other, we continue to press in, we continue to pray, and we end up with deeper wisdom because we listen to each other. I think that's one of the things that makes our church safe. It's one of the things that makes our church healthy. There's no person here that does what they want. Every person here, there are other people in their life, no matter what their title is, that everybody here has someone that can say no to them, even myself as the lead pastor of the church. And that's part of our culture because we believe in mutual dependency, that we need one another to get it right. You can accomplish something in this life on your own. It's always going to be less, though, than what it could have been if you had allowed your life to be joined with other people, even when it felt difficult. And so being a part of this church, being a part of the leadership structure of this church, being a part of ministries of this church, that might be new for you, but I'm telling you, give it a chance, give it a try. First Corinthians chapter 12 talks all about this, how we are desperately in need of each other if we're going to accomplish all the things that God has for us. All right, station six. Jesus is forehead wiped by Veronica. All right, so this is where I want to talk just a couple of minutes about why I'm including some things that, that are, are, are legends or inferences, but not specifically spoken of uh, in, in the text of, of Scripture. And this is one of them. Jesus' forehead uh, being wiped by Veronica, this, this, this goes back to, to, to the early church in the early hundreds, like uh, three, three, four hundred uh, in the ADs there. And when you, when you trace, trace the story back, you get all the way to there. And Veronica was, was, was famed to be the person that was the woman with the issue of blood that Jesus healed and that she was on the road and wiped Christ's brow and that cloth that she used uh, took on healing powers. Now, that's not outside of the realm of Scripture because we know that the Apostle Paul did that, or Peter, that a cloth was sent. And so God can do all kinds of crazy things, right? We're not supposed to make a method of it, but he does, he does amazing things. He does amazing things. And so one of the reasons why I like the inclusion of this legend, even though it's not in the Bible, I think it reminds us that there are parts of our experience as Christians that are, are biblical mandates, but then there's just things that are personal traditions, right? There's no verse in the Bible that tells us exactly how these chairs are supposed to be set up. I know that might come as a surprise to you, right? 
There's no verse in the Bible that says the keyboard player is supposed to be on that side of the platform, the drums are supposed to be in the middle, right? There's, there's things that we just, that are evolved, that become a part of our experience, that become a part of our, our, our tradition. So like at this campus, we use clear grape juice. At the campus in, 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 in Williamsburg, they're more, they're more Christian. They use dark red grape juice, right? They're just a little bit farther along and they're, right? No, it's, that doesn't matter to God. Communion is important to God. The kind of bread you use and the juice that goes in the cup, that's not so important. As a church, we believe in this idea of having an honest conversation. What's in the Bible, and then what's a tradition that we enjoy? There's no way in the Bible that says the first weekend of every year you're supposed to have a sharing service, but it does talk about sharing your story with one another. But we're going to be a church that always has an honest conversation about worship. Worship is a biblical mandate. The kind of songs that we use and the instruments that we benefit from and the technology that, 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 that we lean into, all of that's negotiable. You with me? Preaching the word is a biblical mandate. The style of the pulpit, all the, 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 the creative things that we do, all of that's negotiable. Churches get into trouble when they want to take things that are personal preferences and tradition and make them feel more important, make themselves more important by forcing a biblical mandate that always leads to legalism. Not being good, though, about understanding the things that are mandates in Scripture, that always leads to an environment of compromise. And I think it's one of the reasons why, again, our church is a healthy place. I think it's one of the reasons why our church is, 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 is a, I would say, a drama-free zone. We're not having the kinds of controversies that so many churches have because we're just honest about it. We say, hey, this is a mandate and this is a practice, and we're always going to understand the difference between the two, and we're not going to get those two things confused. All right, what's one more? Missions is another great example of that. Missions is a biblical mandate. The missionaries that we support, the places we go. Jason and Amy are launching a new team. They've been working on this year and uh, about making sure our missionaries are cared for. The, who we support, that could change. You, you with me? All of that stuff is negotiable. The mandate is that we have a vision beyond ourselves. All right, I'm going to invite the, the band to come back up. Station 7. See, we got there. You're not too hungry. Come on. You're going to make it. I'm going to use this Bible over here. Station 7 is Jesus Falls a second time, and this is the one I want to share with you. Remember that God will never place more on you than you can handle. So I want to read out of Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden that I give you is light. We talk about this text often as a church and this idea there and the, the, the last phrase there when it uses the word burden is, the, is also the, 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 the word in ancient times that they used for a ship's cargo. And I think Jesus is trying to help us to understand that sometimes the burden that he asks us to carry is weighty, but we're designed to carry it. That's the whole idea of a ship's cargo. We use the illustration all the time with the, the, the shipbuilding here, that you, you look at that aircraft carrier and everything that goes on it, and we think to ourselves, how on earth can that thing float, right? Because it's designed to carry it. So when Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, it doesn't mean that he's not going to ask us to walk through weighty things in this life. What he's saying to you is that I've designed you to carry every burden that I'm going to place upon you. And so you might be here tonight and you're walking through some weighty things. And what I would say to you is that you were made for them. You might look at some of the things that you're walking through that are weighty and, and maybe you feel like maybe you feel like God is the one who's mistreating you, that he's given you burdens that belong to someone else. You were made for those burdens. That, that, that everything that God asks you to walk through in this life, He has designed you to make it through. To make it through. And we're going to be a church that continues to come along beside of people and say, you don't have to give up. It's your choice in the end whether you quit. But we want you to know you don't have to quit. That God is good. And then he always has your best interest at heart. And even in the moments where you feel like it's just impossible for me to carry on, like Jesus on this road, and he gets to this place where he just keeps stumbling because of the weight of the cross that 
he's supposed to carry, but he was made for that day to take upon the weight of the sins of the world upon him. Didn't make it easy, didn't make it any less hard, but it was his purpose. And for some of you, you need to be a deeper part of a church family like this, and if it's not this church, it needs to be a church somewhere, because one of the only ways that you're gonna be able to carry the burdens that God has called you to carry is by coming to a place of acceptance, God, this is who I am, and then looking into the room for the people who are not necessarily going to be there to carry it for you because that's the other station with Simon. You with me? This is very different. It's for people to stand with you and say, you can do it. It's people that are going to stand next to you and say, don't give up. It's going to be the people that begin to stand with you in a place of prayer when you want to stop praying for the thing that you feel like that God has promised you. It's about being a part of a community of people that are there with you and they put wind back in your sail and they put hope back in your heart and they ignite faith in your heart because of the words that they speak to you and they're not going to get in and say let me carry that thing for you because they know that you were made and you were designed to carry that burden that you're carrying. They're just going to be the people along the roadside that says you can do it. You can make it. Stand with me. Father, for this moment of worship that we're going to step into tonight, God, we know that you're saying to us, it's time to come up. That with you, there's always more, and the more is always better. That God, this season for our church of change, that, that, that you're going to be walking us through, God, we know that, that, that everything from your hand, as Pastor Jamie was saying from that psalm, that is fair and just and it's good because we know your heart. So, Father, I lift up every person that's here tonight, no matter what station they find themselves in, no matter which station they might find themselves in more than one, God, that whatever come-up moment you have for them, God, that they're going to step out, that they're going to recognize your voice, that they're going to sense your presence, and they're going to hear your calling, and they're going to move forward in their journey, that they're not going to stay where they are. They're going to come up. They're not going to get stuck in their past. They're not going to get stuck into their present. That they are going to run hard into their future. For their good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.